Welcome to Putting the Real in Real Estate, the podcast about all things real estate, all things local, and all things life, where we hope to inform, entertain, and inspire. What's up, everybody? Welcome into episode five of Putting the Real in Real Estate. I'm your host, Glenn Hawkersmith. And as always, I want to thank you for spending some of your precious time with me today. We have a great guest today, Brad C. with Kentuckiana Mortgage Group, and I will get to him very shortly. But first, um, can you believe it's February already? It's crazy. Time is just flying. Um, January was a very busy month in real estate for me, and that's a good sign for what is to come in 2020, I believe. I took four new listings in January one of which went pending in less than 48 hours for over asking price. So here, here we go already. Um, I have two vacant lots available that would make for great home sites and also an awesome property on 12 acres with a beautiful custom-built home on a two-acre stocked lake. It is a beautiful, awesome property. So if you would like more information on those or any other listings, please visit glensoin.com. That's G-L-E-N-N-S-O-I-N. Or glensellslouisville.com, or you can go to glenhockersmith.schulerbauer.com. Either of those will get you exactly where you need to be. So real quick, before we get to Brad, I ran across an article in Riz Media the other day that spoke about the affordability of buying versus renting a home that I thought was a bit surprising. So the main thing that stood out to me was, despite the fact that home prices on average are still on the rise nationally, affordability actually improved recently. And uh, according to the National Association of Realtors, in the third quarter of 2019, the average monthly mortgage payment shrank to $1,033 or 15% of a household's income. And that's a departure from 17.4% the previous year. According to Freddie Mac, the average 30-year fixed rate mortgage is 3.6%, and that's considerably down from 4.45% last year, or the previous year, I'm sorry. And uh, so that just goes to show you that even though home prices are rising, rates are going down, and, and it's still affordable to buy a home. Um, there's an interactive map included in this article, which allows you to click on your metropolitan area to see whether it's more affordable to rent or buy in your hometown. And I can tell you um, for the Louisville, Southern Indiana market, which is where I am located, the statistics show that it's more affordable to buy than it is to rent. So you can check out that map for yourself at rizmedia.com. That's R-I-S-M-E-D-I-A. Com. And we will discuss this and much more with our guest today, so let's get right to it. Today's guest is a Southern Indiana native who attended the University of Louisville and Indiana University Southeast before finding his way into the financial services industry as an insurance agent. He soon transitioned into the banking world and after a victorious battle with cancer, decided that he wanted to make more of an impact with his life and career which led him into the mortgage business. Brad has been helping people achieve their homeownership dreams ever since, 
and is currently CEO of Kentucky Anna Mortgage Group, which he co-founded in 2018 with partners Keith Collins and Eric Jones. Recently married, Brad resides in Georgetown, Indiana with his beautiful wife and daughter. And when he's not busy being an absolute mortgage rock star, enjoys golfing, snowboarding, and woodworking. Brad C., welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Glenn. Happy to be here. Good. Thanks. Thanks for uh, taking time out of your day and, and stopping by the house here. So I mentioned in the intro that you like to golf, you like to snowboard. Obviously, this winter hasn't been very conducive to snowboarding. Not that you do much of that around here anyway, but you've had some pretty good weather the past few days. Were you able to get the get the golf clubs out and get out on the course at all or no? Yeah, actually, me and a couple of buddies got out yesterday and played nine yeah. up at Valley View. Okay. Yeah, so it was kind of nice. I'm not uh, not much of a golfer, even though I live <laughs> in a golf course community. Yeah. Um, maybe one of these days, me and my wife talk about maybe when the kids are gone, taking up golf. So we'll see. Yeah, I, honestly, I love it. And it's something me and a couple of buddies, we all get together every Tuesday afternoon and play nine or 18, depending on weather and sunlight. Um, just some reason for us to get together every week. Honestly. That's cool. Yeah. You got to have something, especially in this business that you can look forward to and just kind of get away from everything every now and then. So a common theme on this show has been career transitions. And I've found that most people in the real estate business and the mortgage business, most of them didn't start out in real estate. Most of them didn't start out doing mortgages. They've transitioned from another career, another industry. And we're going to talk all about the mortgage business and your company here shortly. But first, kind of tell me how you transitioned from the insurance business into lending. You you were telling me you kind of have a funny story about that. Yeah, I actually started off um, with it in IT in college, um, information technology. I was a computer science major. Um, I was working an internship for a company over in Louisville. And I, that was my career path, information technology, computer programming, web development, that kind of thing. And during work one day, a person on the floor was having issues with her, with their computer and asked me if, if I would come take a look at it. And I was like, well, have you tried to turn it off and turn it back on? And they told me, yeah, and they kept turning it off and back on. And That's the, always the first. <laughs> yeah, right, turn it off and turn it back on. And she said it was still frozen on that same screen. So... I went to her desk and was like, show me what you were doing. And she was turning the monitor on and off. <laughs> um, and that day I decided maybe information technology and computer <laughs> science is not the path for me. Are you telling me you don't have patience for <laughs> um, it, it? In that moment in my younger years, I guess I didn't. Sure. I have a little more, developed a little more patience now. Um, but that was kind of a, a trigger for me to um, jump into um, into the insurance world. I uh, knew a guy pretty well that ran an insurance company, reached out to him, gave me an opportunity and learned a lot. The first couple of years I was there, did pretty well um, in the insurance industry. And just so happened, I, I was living here in Sellersburg where you're at, and I was banking at Chase Bank and went in one day and they had an opening and a girl I went to high school with was working there and said, hey, we got this opening. You should apply. I think you'd be really good. So I was like, okay, I'll give it a shot. And that was kind of my foray into banking, just stumbled in, probably making a deposit and mm -hmm. they had an opening and that was my chance. So selling insurance, it's very similar, I, I guess, to, to real estate and the lending business mm -hmm. where you really have to build up your network. But to me, just looking from the outside, it seems like a really, really tough business. Is that what you found? 
It was. And at the time I was in still early mid twenties, I think it was 23, 24 at that time. Insurance was pretty much a hundred percent commission in this yeah. opportunity at Chase was a decent salary, full benefits, and then a little commission on top of it. So for me at the time, it was more guaranteed income. Sure. Um, and that was, it was a good choice for me to go with that. Um, just for a little more stability. So you didn't go right into lending. You were working at Chase and, mm -hmm. and just kind of doing general banking. Yeah, I was a personal banker and then eventually became a, a business banker. So helping businesses with deposits, loans, things like that. I did some home equity line of credits while I was there. And then that was kind of my introduction into the mortgage world. And when the NMLS licensing first came out, got my NMLS license, um, started doing some home equity line of credits there at Chase. And then I got offered a position to go to Fifth Third Bank and do strictly mortgages. And I jumped at the opportunity. Cool. So did it take off right away when you jumped into it? What, first of all, what was the time period here when you, when you started doing mortgages? Was it pre-2008? Well, I guess, yes, yeah, it definitely was, wasn't it? Um, actually, I got, into, I got strictly into mortgages in 2010. Okay. So in your intro, you said that I'm a cancer survivor. That was, I was diagnosed in 2008, eventually after a lot of chemo and a lot of doctor visits um, in February of 2009, uh, that was kind of behind me. Um, and then a year later is when I got the opportunity to go straight to Fifth Third and do Strictly Mortgages. And at that point it was, I wanted to have more of an impact. I wanted to be, have more flexibility and I wanted to you know, control my own destiny a little bit more. Sure. So you kind of had all kinds of life changes going on there in that time period. So let's take a little detour. You mentioned the cancer. So talk about that a little bit, just if you don't mind, um, yeah. what type of cancer were you diagnosed with? What, how old were you at that time? It was July 3rd of 2008. So I would have been getting ready to turn 27. So I'd have been 27. Wow. So that's no one no one dreams that they're going to get that diagnosis at that age. I think everyone's pretty aware of cancer and that, you know, everyone knows someone who's been affected by it. But I think especially at that young age, you think, well, that's, it's never going to happen to me or it's down the road, you know? So mm -hmm. I can imagine that was probably quite a shock when you got that diagnosis. It was absolutely. Um, I specifically remember um, waking up on July 3rd of 2008 in Floyd Memorial Hospital. They weren't sure what was going on. They just knew that something wasn't right with my heartbeat and my lung function wasn't as good as it should have been. So they did a CT scan and that's when they told me there was a germ cell tumor in my chest cavity um, the size of a grapefruit. Oh, wow. So it was, <clears throat> it took them a, a couple days to figure out exactly what it was, but eventually we found out it was, it's called mediastinum non-seminoma which is a pretty rare cancer, especially in the chest cavity. So after some, you know, processing that and deciding on a treatment plan and my oncologist figuring out what was going on and what the severity of it was, honestly, they gave, they, they really gave me six months to live at that time. Oh, it wow. was uh, stage four and there was not, it, the outlook was not real good. So, you said you woke up in the hospital. Did something happen or were you having some type of symptoms that led you to visit the doctor? Yeah. So How the, did that play out? The night before I had been to the night, the day before I'd been to the doctor and 
Um, my resting heartbeat was up in the 150s. Mm-hmm. Um, and come to find out, you know, later on that the tumor was so big in my chest cavity that it had backed my heart into a corner oh, and wow. my heart couldn't take full pumps. So the tumor was found because of a doctor recognizing that my resting heart rate was so high and abnormal. And that's how we ended up going to Floyd, um, stayed the night in the hospital, just being monitored. And then the next day is when they came back with the tumor. Gotcha. So lesson to be learned to, especially young males out there. I'm I'm the same way. We all want to feel like we are invincible and, oh, I'm not going to the doctor. If there's something, if you know something's wrong, get to the doctor, get checked out. It could, it could be nothing, but it could be something major and getting, getting out ahead of it could, could end up saving your life. Absolutely. It, you know, at the time of my mid twenties and hanging out with my friends and, you know, partying maybe a little more than I should have. I just thought, you know, maybe I need to slow down a little bit mm-hmm. and, and all that. And, and it turns out, you know, there was something really wrong and thank God I went to the doctor because sure. if I didn't, you know, they told me if I'd have been there, came in a month later, there wasn't anything they could have done. Wow. So I'm always fascinated to hear the stories about, okay, so you get the, the diagnosis. They tell you, you've got six months. Did you immediately have the mindset of, hell no, I'm going to kick this cancer's ass. I'm going to survive. Or was there a period of time where you were just depressed and just kind of didn't know what to do down in in the dumps? How did did that play out? And was there a particular moment that changed your outlook where you said, hey, I'm going to beat this thing? The the initial diagnosis was, I, I think it, it didn't set in for a couple of days. Like it's just such a whirlwind and you know, they, they ended up rushing me into surgery that day to do a biopsy on the tumor and what they call a pericardial window on my heart, just to relieve some of the pressure off of it. And then I believe after that surgery, I was out for two or three days. So I didn't, I, I was unconscious basically. Mm-hmm. And so then, you know, come to, they're going over options and all this. And, and I instantly, instantly was, you know, give me whatever you can. I'll do whatever you need me to do to beat this. You know, after, you know, you asked about, you know, having doubts and, you know, all that after a couple of the chemo treatments is when I thought, is this, is this really worth it? I lost 55 pounds during the first round of chemo. I was super sick. I couldn't eat. It was, it was, it got really bad. Um, and that's when you start having like, is this really worth it? Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, family support system, everybody cheering me on and friends raising money and and all that stuff really kept me going. And it, you know, turns out I'm here and it all worked out. Thankful for that. And I know you are too. I, I can't imagine the anxiety that would come looking forward to having to do the chemo or radiation. That's usually what I think about, you know, when I imagine that scenario is, not necessarily dying because we're all going to die, but looking forward to having to go through that treatment because you you hear the stories and, and hear how, how terrible it is. So I would imagine that would be a, a great source of anxiety. It, it was. Um, you know, you don't know what you, you don't know what chemo feels like and what it's going to do until you go through it. You know, mm-hmm. anybody, there's a lot of cancer survivors out there that could you know, try to explain what it feels like and how you feel. But until you go through it, it's not something you can, you know, describe. Sure. But once you, once I got through one round and I knew what to expect, mm-hmm. 
even though it was really bad, I knew what to expect each round I went in. Sure. So um, there, there was a lot less anxiety. You know, it still was terrible, but I knew exactly what I was getting every round I went yeah, in. Kind of so, like the devil you know. It's better it, yeah. than the devil you don't know, I guess. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. And, you know, my first round was in the hospital, and so I was surrounded and kind of, you know, they had me on tons of pain meds and mm-hmm. anti-anxiety medicine, and that kind of softened that a little bit, I think. Um, but then going forward, I knew what, knew what to expect, and sure. like you said, the, the devil you know. So, okay, you get through that. Mm-hmm. You, you, you beat the cancer. We talked. Me and Misty Stanley spoke uh, a couple episodes ago about life and how 90% of life is how you react to the 10%, which is what happens to you. So how did, how did that experience change you going forward from that point? Or did it change you at all? It definitely changed me. My outlook on life is very, is much different. I live every day to the fullest. It's, you know, everybody talks about mindset and it's a, it's a kick in the mindset, right? (laughs) Um, So, you know, that was, you know, I started making decisions that benefited me in the everyday and stop, started, stopped worrying about everything else and just doing what I needed to do to make me happy. And then as I was doing that and making those decisions, I got a chance to go uh, to Switzerland with a couple of buddies on a snowboard trip. Um, two of them happened to be in the mortgage industry. And while we were over there, just got to talking and one was a manager at Fifth Third Bank in the mortgage department. And basically said, why don't you just come work for me and do mortgages? So if I wouldn't have taken that chance and, you know, gone on that trip to Switzerland, Mm -hmm. I might not have been in the position I'm in now. Sure. And I would guess that going through that experience probably taught you a little bit about not focusing on things that are out of your control and focusing more on things that are in your control. Would I be wrong in, in that assumption? No, no, not at all. There's, you know, it's, it's how you react to things and how, you know, I, I see things all the time. It's not the problem. It's how you look at the problem. So for me, it's been motivating and really just trying to live life to the fullest and doing what makes you happy every day. Sure. sure. So you've been very successful in the mortgage business. You were very successful working for other companies and in 2018, you started your own company, Kentucky Indiana Mortgage Group, or Kentucky Anna Mortgage Group. Kentucky Anna Mortgage. Sorry yeah. about that. I knew I was going to mess that up. <laughs> um, so, what led you to do that? Why, why step out and take that risk when you were already doing so well working for someone else? Was it had it always been a dream to own your own business? Or are you trying to build a legacy for your for your family? What's the story with that? It had been a dream of mine for years. You know, I've I've always you know since the battle with cancer, I wanted to do something that was my own. Uh, a long time ago, and actually this is written, written uh, on the mirror in my bathroom, but it, the quote was, build what, build what you want to be a part of. So that's always been in my mind. Like I, wanna, I wanted to build something that I, that I wanted to be a part of, and that was kind of always a goal. So it, in the summer of 2018, um, the timing of everything else just kind of came together and me, Eric and Keith sat down at a coffee shop and said, do we, th- do we think we can do this? And 
you know, I, I, I don't know that I would have made the leap on my own by myself. Sure. There's, um, there's a lot that goes into mortgages and the mortgage industry and, and regulation and owning a business in general. But I felt comfortable enough with three people to, um, to make the leap. And um, we just kind of just started figuring it out as we went. And our, our goal really was the mortgage process does not have to be difficult. If you leverage technology and, and really just do right by people, it's, it's, not, it's not hard. And we thought maybe we could do things a little bit better. And that's where a little bit of my IT background came in, like sure. embracing the technology that was available, uh, implementing new things to make certain parts of the process a little more efficient. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what we've done. And I think we've done a pretty good job so far. Yeah. And I want to I want to talk a little bit more about that. Um, but first, I want to kind of give you a compliment because you said you wanted to build something that you want to be a part of. And I can see that from the outside that your company and the people you work with you all kind of have the same mindset, the same type of personality. It looks like a, a fun place to work and a good group of people to work with. And I know personally most of the people who, who you do work with, and they are all good people and, and good people to work with. So I just wanted to pay you a little compliment on that. So I think you're doing a good job of building something that you want to be a part of. It's a reflection of you, I believe. Thank you very much. That that, that means a lot. You know, we we don't recruit if somebody comes to us looking to join the team, we'll sit down and talk with them, but we don't recruit. We're not trying to get to 50 loan officers or mortgage brokers. You know, it's a, we've created a culture and we've got, like you said, we've got great people from me down to the processors on the team. They're just, everybody's, you know, we we have a good time and we get things done. Sure. And it's such a personal business as well. I would imagine you probably retained a, majority of your previous clients when you made that change because they, you know, you established that personal relationship with them. So what sets you apart? What sets your company apart from all of the other mortgage companies out there? Or, or what is your, what do you want to set you apart from the other companies? Um, I think us being a brokerage is a huge advantage, I think. And, I, and there's other great brokers in the area out there, but the, the difference between the, a broker and a lender is, is pretty stark. As a broker, we have, I think we have 15 different wholesale lenders we, that we're working with now. And that's really because we want everybody to have the opportunity for home ownership. You know, there's, there's some situations out there that maybe, you know, bank X won't do or bank Y won't do. But we have um, lenders for all kinds of different situations. So when you come to us, no matter what, if, if we can't figure it out or get it done, probably, there's probably nobody out there that can. Sure. For those who may be listening who aren't in the business and aren't real familiar with the, the mortgage industry or that whole process, you know, there, there's a difference between a mortgage broker and, say, your local bank on the corner. Usually when you go to a large bank or a local bank, that they're doing that in-house, right? Mm-hmm. And so with you as a mortgage broker, you can take their information, get them pre-approved, and then shop that around, correct, to national and maybe even international companies who, who buy mortgages? 
Absolutely. They're, all the ones we work with are national. We don't have any international ones, but you're exactly right. Um, we, we have set up Kentucky in a mortgage group where we make a percentage of your loan amount, and that percentage is exactly the same no matter what lender we send it to or what loan product that you end up going with. Because we see ourselves as educators. We're going to give you your options, give you the numbers, and then you decide what is best for you. Because what I think is best for you may not be what you believe is best to you. Um, so we really take a consultative and educational approach to mortgages because I truly believe that the informed consumer is the best consumer. And the informed consumer is going to shop and there's going to be competition. And at the end of the day, we want the client or the consumer to win. Sure. And I feel like you do a really good job of that. You're straightforward. You don't BS anybody. You tell people... You know, you give them the information and you educate them and, and you let them go from there. You're not going to, if someone <laughs> is questionable, it, you, you're going to, you're going to tell them that you're going to, you're not going to promise them something that you can't deliver on. Yeah. Is that correct? Absolutely. And when I first got into mortgages, um, Clifton, who's got me into the mortgages, told me deliver good news fast and bad news faster, and that's and that's <laughs> sure. and that's wrong. True. As soon as, as soon as I have bad news, I'm on the phone. I'm calling everybody, and I'm and we're gonna try to figure it out. But you, I think too many times in this industry, people don't want to tell the whole truth or want to try to figure something out behind the scenes that eventually is going to be a problem. Sure. So we'll try to deal with it, you know, as quickly as possible, because maybe, you know, if you and I are working a deal together and, and I come across something that I think is a problem and I can't come up with a quick solution, maybe you hire, maybe you can think of something that would help solve the problem. So if you get the information and the bad news to people as quickly as possible, you get, you have a better chance of solving it. Sure. And that's something as a realtor that I value. I, I tell everyone that's the biggest key in the whole process is communication and that, and a clear open line of communication. Now, obviously, you know, you there are certain things that you can't disclose to me as, as the realtor, unless you get permission from your client, but the communication is the biggest key in, in the real estate business, the lending business. And really I would guess any any service business that you're involved in so i appreciate that i know that if i send someone to you and you tell me hey they're good to go i know they're good to go i don't have to i don't have to worry about that now having said that you know things can always happen but i i, I have high confidence <laughs> in your abilities to to make things happen and and let me know up front if they're going to happen or if they're not so even if, if, if someone comes to you and they may not be ready yet, you run their credit, maybe they have poor credit, maybe they've got a bankruptcy, or maybe their income just isn't where it needs to be yet, you don't just kick them out the door, right, and tell them, see you later. It, Absolutely not. <laughs> what can you offer people out there who may not be ready yet to get them ready? Um, mo most of the time we put together a plan. Um, depending on the situation, it may be something that I can offer advice on, um, get them to where they need to be in some sort of timeline on when we think we can uh, get them pre-qualified. Mm -hmm. um, if it's something that's maybe a little more outside of our scope, we've got a couple different credit re repair companies, uh, one local here in Louisville and then one national that we refer people to um, that do, they do a consultation before you sign up with them so they know like, they just don't take on clients and take your money. Mm -hmm. They'll tell you with a copy of your credit report, yeah, we think we can we think we can work with this. 
and then they communicate back to us um, at through the process as they're as they're rebuilding the credit or whatever the situation may be. Honestly, sure. in 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 our world, every credit report is different. Everybody's job history is different. Everybody's everything's different for everybody. I think what we do a really good job with is asking every question that we could potentially need to know the answer to upfront. So when we give a pre-qualification letter, we are pretty much a hundred percent confident that we're going to be able to get that deal done. Now, of course, there's always, you know, some one-offs where something will come up that, you know, either we missed or the client didn't disclose. So you Um, mean you're not going to wait to run credit until after you give them a (laughs) pre-approval letter? Um, (laughs) Funny, a a guy called me, um, it was probably two weeks ago, and we can do soft credit pulls, but that's more of just to get an idea of where you're at and what your liabilities are. And he wanted me to give him a pre-qualification off a soft pull, um, which I was not willing to do. Because that's only one of your credit bureaus. There could be something on the other two credit bureaus that I'm not seeing. And he told me another lender was willing to give him a pre-qualification letter off a soft pool. And I told him he need to call that lender back. I'm, I'm not going to be the guy to work, for, right. work with him. Well, and as a realtor, I appreciate that. You know, we put a lot of time into going and showing people homes and writing offers. And, and when something like that happens and you've got a pre-approval that isn't exactly a pre-approval, and now all of a sudden you're under contract. Your client has, you know, put up five hundred dollars, a thousand dollars for an earnest money deposit. They've spent five hundred dollars on an inspection, and then something happens that should have been caught up front. It not only makes the lender look bad, it makes the realtor look bad as well. So to be able to have that confidence going into working with someone is, is a big thing for me. So I appreciate that. What we're really mindful of is your time. Mm-hmm. We're sitting behind a desk looking at financials or meeting with a client for 15, 20 minutes to do a pre-qualification. It's not a long, hard process to get pre-qualified. It's pretty simple, actually. You, the realtors, you guys are the ones driving to Sellersburg and then Scottsburg and then Georgetown and then out to Corden to show six different houses. And you've got you know seven, eight hours invested where we only have 20 hours invested. So we try to be very mindful of that. And that's, that's part of the reason that we require a lot of information to give a pre-qualification letter. Sure. And part of my job as a realtor is getting people to realize, especially first time home buyers, that that's your first step in the home buying process is speaking to a lender. Obviously, yes, speak to a real estate agent, but before you go out, I know everyone gets excited. They want to go out and look at the, the nice homes, but you really need to make that pre-approval the first step in your process. Can you just kind of talk to that a little bit? Explain to people from a lender's perspective why that's so important. For us, it's it's looking at creditworthiness, income, assets. What are our, what are our options? We want to know what our options are. A lot of people come to us and ask what they can afford. And, and I don't think that's the right question. It's more about what monthly payment are you comfortable with? Sure. So, you know, we will have a client say, well, we, we want to stay around $750, $800 a month, but they're looking at $275,000 houses. We're, we just, there's just no way to make that work. So it's, it's a lot of questions and, and understanding what the client's wants and needs are from our perspective and then getting them options that work best and fit within their budget. Sure. And that's part of an educational process. Really? You yeah. Know? And that kind of leads me into my next question is we have an issue right now with rising rent, 
prices, uh, along with rising home prices. But I feel like the younger generation who would be normally be the renters, you know, coming right out of college or out of high school, they're kind of being priced out of that rental market right now. So there may be a break point there to where it's smarter to go ahead and buy a home. And, you know, you're, you may have a payment that's equal to, or maybe even less than, than a rent payment. And you can build some equity and build some wealth instead of, instead of paying someone else's mortgage. Correct. I I imagine you have, you sit down and, and go through that scenario with people on a, on a pretty regular basis, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the things that we look at um, is payment shock. So if you're paying, you know, $1,000 a month now in your rent and, and we're looking at $2,200 a month on a mortgage payment, like just want to make sure that people are comfortable with that. You know, to your, you know, the first time home buyer, the people entering the market, I think the thing that we struggle with now, and, and, I, and I hear this a lot from you guys, is lack of inventory. Mm-hmm. You know, the first time home buyers generally in, you know, in our area, we think of like the 125 to 150, but they're not making more 125 to 150 right. houses right now. They're, you know, builders are building the 200 to 450 or even $500,000 houses. So if the people that are in the 125 to 150 aren't selling to move up, those first time home buyers are really in a tough spot where, you know, we, we hear this a lot now is you know, multiple offer situations, highest and best. And then the, the rent thing is struggle, but there's, there's demand and demand drives price. The good, the good thing is right now is, you know, rates are the lowest we've seen in the past three years, really, as of this week, really. Um, I don't know when everybody's gonna be listening to this podcast that can change (laughs) tomorrow, but as to, as of today, they're, I mean, they're phenomenal. And, the people that you know bought the $150,000, $200,000 house that didn't want to sell because they were in the lower mid threes on an interest rate, they can now get back. So they didn't want to buy when rates were at four and a half. And that makes sense. I understand that. Sure. But now rates are back there. So maybe it'll get you know a little more, a little more incentive to people to to upgrade. Yeah, and it kind of balances out the rising home prices. You know, the market's increasing here locally. You know, anywhere from five to seven percent year over year the past couple years and you know but the interest rates have stayed very low and maybe that offsets that that increase a little bit yeah i I just i actually agree with that quite a bit so you mentioned the low rates um all last year the rates were pretty low i I remember the year before everyone was telling us oh expect to see six percent again by the end of next year and that didn't happen and now going into 2020 everything i hear is expect the rates to stay extremely low you know at least through 2020 now who knows what happens after the election but yeah even and i try to explain this to people when i bought a home back in 2003 my rate was six and a quarter and I thought that was great. So even, even if the rates do increase, we've got quite a ways to go before it gets really bad. You know, I think my generation of home buyers and the first time home buyers, they've, they've never seen rates in the fives. So it's hard for them to grasp a rate of five and a half percent where your generation, you're not that much older than me, but your generation was when they were buying houses were like you were talking about. So it's, it's perspective. And I hear people who bought homes back in the early 80s and 70s where they they were, what, up close to 20% yeah, interest say, rates? Yeah, of course, like, you could buy a nice house for $30,000 as yeah. well. So everything yeah. kind of balances out. 
It's all kind of relative, isn't it? Right. So your wife is working with you, right? She does. I was starting to say she works for you, but I'm not going to say that. (laughs) (laughs) We'll say she works with you. So how's that played out? Is it, has it, um, enhanced your relationship has it been a challenge trying to trying to balance and figure out that whole home life work life um we're we're both pretty self-driven motivated people and you know we there'll be days when we sit in the office and don't speak very much just because we're both busy doing our own things and what we got going on and there's also times where we'll be sitting at dinner talking about some marketing strategy or some social media posts that we may have uh, it, it's definitely enhanced it. She takes some things off my plate that, you know, I'm not really good at. Social media content creation and the wording of things. And that's mm-hmm. not, you know, I'm I'm pretty good at mortgages, but as far as uh, marketing, that's not my specialty. Right. And it, we've, we've spoken about that in previous episodes, as far as being in business for yourself, a small business owner, which is what we are, realizing what you're good at and what you're not good at and don't focus too much of your time on the things that you're not good at realize you're not good at it and hire someone else to do it for you yeah that's exactly right um and she's great and supports me and the whole kentucky and a mortgage group team and i think at the end of the day we just want everybody on our team to be successful and and have a good time doing it and she's she's a part of that Sure. I, I was curious about that because my wife has absolutely zero interest in real estate <laughs> and, and that's fine. Um, I think I need that balance because you can kind of be consumed with it 24 seven. And so I know when I come home, not that she won't listen to my story. She's always interested to hear about my day, but it kind of is in the back of my mind. Okay. Time to shut it off. That that's kind of the dynamic with us so i just kind of wondered about that whole dynamic yeah we make it work it it, it works pretty well actually so getting back to the mortgage business and and home buying if you had to give one piece of advice for someone who's considering buying a home soon whether it's within the next six months or, or a year from now what would be the best piece of advice you could give them in preparation to be in the best position that they possibly can I think talk to a mortgage broker sooner than later. Too many times I think that we get a client reaching out and they want to write an offer on a house that weekend. Where if they would have got to us, you know, 30 or 45 days before, we could have given them a little bit of advice. You know, maybe there's something on their credit that we could have cleared up to get their score up 60 points. And then all of a sudden their rates, you know, three-eighths or a half a percent lower than what it would be. I, I think... The, the people that do really well or the clients that we do really well with is, is the ones that talk to us earlier on in the process mm-hmm. so we can formulate a plan. And, you know, I'm working with um, a couple of different people right now that aren't buying until the summer and one or one is even in the fall. And we just put together, a you know, some sort of savings plan for one and to beef up their down payment a little bit. One's working, you know, she absolutely qualifies credit wise, but if we can get her score up another 11 points, she gets to a better tier in the interest rate world. Um, and we can save her 50, $60 a month on sure. our mortgage in that, in that scenario, which is a lot when you factor in a 30 year mortgage. Well, and I would guess the type of person who's going to reach out to you early in the process is probably the same type of person who's a good planner, a good saver and so forth. Yeah, and, you're exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. So it, a lot of people are in a position where they can, they can buy a house, they can get a loan with no money down. 
and you can be successful. You can go out and buy a house and, and, and make it work. But it's hard to get people to realize if they've never owned a home before the other expenses that come along with it. And it, not just in the process of buying when you've got your closing costs, you've got inspections, appraisals and so forth. So what would you recommend as an amount for someone to have to be comfortable with, you know, ideally going into the home buying process, just a, a chunk of money set aside in the bank to say, Hey, make sure you have this much and you're going to be good to go. You're going to, you're not going to have to worry about anything through this process. I think it's, you know, the, the upfront cost that you kind of touched on earlier, the, the home inspection, the earnest money, um, if you're doing some sort of down payment, having that. And then having a cushion, um, as we submit things to these lenders and underwriters are reviewing them and underwriters are human, um, if they see that you're going to have two or three months worth of mortgage payment left in your account after we do down payment, closing costs, prepaids, or, or whatever you're responsible for, it looks really good. We get especially, you know, in the lower tier credit scores. Mm -hmm. If you got a couple months left over in your account after a couple months worth of mortgage payment left over in your account at the end of the day, at the day of closing, um, it, it helps a lot. And I think that's, you know, if you can, depending on what price range you're in and what the monthly payment's going to be, it can, you know, depending on all the factors. But sure. if you've got, I think if you're going to be able to have two or three months left in your account when all said is done, um, I think you're going to be in a pretty good spot. I would agree with that. Yeah. Now, there aren't many people out there <laughs> who are quite that prepared, but there are some who yeah. are. So that's good advice. And hey, we're giving you the advice now. So maybe you make that your goal right now. Start start setting some money aside and, and try to get yourself as best prepared as possible for, for buying a home. Yeah. A lot of people use tax returns this time of the year we're yeah. in right now. If you get a tax return, yeah, that's if. great. <laughs> um, so I asked you for advice that you can give home buyers. What's the best piece of advice you can give me or someone who's listening who who is a real estate agent as far as preparing our clients, working with our clients, not only that, but working with you and um, helping to make the whole process a smooth one? This kind of simplifies things, but participation. A lot of times we ask clients for paperwork, documentation, the quicker we can get our hands on something, the quicker we can make the process go. I think the advice for you and other real estate agents out there is just prepare the client for the what information we're going to need and, and how important it is to get it to us in a timely manner. You know, if we're, you know, our, our average application to clear to close, I think is it's right around 20 to 21 days right mm -hmm. now. That's something we track pretty, track a lot. But if they get an accepted offer on say February 10th and we don't get their paperwork to start the loan application until February 21st. Well, we're already 11 days behind sure. into a three week process. Um, and I think a lot of people don't understand that we like, we can't move forward and order appraisal and title and do a lot of those things until we have everything. I think that's, that's probably the most important thing in, and, and the best piece of advice that I could give is if, if the client knows that we're going to be asking them for bank, st bank statements, pay stubs, W-2s, that sort of thing, then they're prepared for it. Um, and, and a lot of times when, when I send pre-qualification letters at initial, I'll send them the list of paperwork that, that we're going to need and say, I know you're not house shopping for two or three weeks, but it's a good idea to go ahead and start looking for some of these mm -hmm. things so you're prepared. And that's good advice. It's it's a good idea for for realtors to to have that information as well, to know or anticipate 
what their clients are going to need to give you. Mm -hmm. Um, so you can try to prepare them for that. And I know a lot of times as realtors, once we get that accepted offer and send you to contract, we can have a tendency to kind of relax a little bit and, and kick back and, and wait for things to happen where we kind of move on to inspections and, and that whole deal, but it doesn't hurt to pick up the phone and say, Hey, Brad, um, are you getting what you need from my client or, or call the client and say, Hey, have you, have you given Brad everything he's asked for? And that can help the process along. Yeah, you've probably got a text from me in the past saying, hey, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, asked, I asked Jim for all his paperwork on Monday. It's Wednesday. I didn't hear from him yesterday. Yeah. Have you talked to him? Yeah. Sometimes it's funny. You get two two different versions of a story. Yeah. <laughs> so, and you kind of touched on this at the beginning here. Lending, as is real estate, it's an ever-evolving industry. Technology is having a huge effect You've got these big national companies trying to come in and take the local guy out. How do you stay ahead of that? How do you make sure you're positioning yourself and your company to survive that that change, that transition that is not coming, it's here? Yeah, a, a couple of different things that we try to do, um, and that's this is kind of a pretty big focus for us in 2020, is more direct-to-consumer marketing, you know, trying to beat the the big retail lenders to the client and, you know, maybe even beat Zillow to them. But that, I think the market, the direct consumer marketing. And then honestly, we, we do things a lot cheaper. That's kind of our, one of our, or maybe our biggest value add is there's a big lender out there that likes to talk about rockets. Um, and I think I saw that their marketing budget was $30 million or close to $30 million a month on Google. Wow. And my question to consumers or anybody that was thinking about would think about using them to do their mortgage. Do you think you're really getting the lowest interest rate and lowest closing costs possible with a company that has a $360 million a year budget just on Google ads? Right. And I've, I've seen the difference in closing costs <laughs> between these big national companies and, and your company. You know, I, I think that's another place where you do really well is keeping your closing costs reasonable. Yeah, we don't we don't charge a processing fee. Pretty much all of our lenders start in, charge an underwriting fee, but you're not going to see a fee from us. Sure. Um, the lender pays us directly, like we talked about earlier, percentage of the loan amount. I, uh, another thing I know that it, you've been working on recently to kind of stay ahead of the technology is an app. I'm not sure where you are with that, if that's fully in, in play yet, or if you're still working on that, but I think that's very important. It's almost expected now, and it's a really good tool. I assume your app is probably going to be the same way as some others I've seen where the, the client will download the app on, on their phone. The realtor will have the app. It's co-branded. I know a lot of times the client can actually upload documents through the app, is that the case? It it is. They'll they'll be able to take pictures and it'll convert them to PDF. You know, if they have their W twos or they get paper pay stubs, they'll be able to take a picture with their phone and and it comes directly to us. Um, the app is pretty much ready. Um, in, in all honesty, the the interest rate market we're in and as busy as we've been in January and February, I honestly thought I would have more time to get the app rolled out during mm -hmm. you know what is normally the slower months, but it's, it's been pretty busy and, you know, trying to find time sure. to do that. But um, we should, we've pretty much got everything ready and we'll probably be rolling it out in the next couple of weeks for sure. 
That's a good problem to have, though. It is. It is. <laughs> um, but I've told a lot of people about it, and I got to get it out there. <laughs> That's all right. We'll 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 give you a break on that one. So I appreciate that. So I imagine there's someone out there listening who is just getting started in the mortgage business, or is considering getting into the mortgage business. What's it take to be successful? What what are the most important skills and traits, in your opinion, that someone should possess to be able to be successful? in this business? I think a lot of, a lot of my success and other loan officers or mortgage brokers that I know that are successful is organization and you have to be self-driven. Uh, you we're in a commission only industry. And, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, if you are organized, have the ability to have tough conversations and real conversations with people, you'll be successful. And I think one of the things that we really try to do is client first mindset. Like what it, we always do what's right by the client, no matter what. And I think that's important for, you know, as, as you mentioned earlier, longevity. And you, you, you know, you mentioned you kind of started in it. You've probably got a pretty good, pretty good head for math, right? I do. Yep. I don't. <laughs> that's why I'm a realtor and not, not in the lending business. So I assume that would be a, a an important trait to have, but I don't know if it seems like it may not be as important nowadays as it used to be. I, w- I would think the whole networking part of it mm-hmm. would be very important. You've got, you can't be scared to talk to people, right? You mentioned having tough conversations. That's something that I don't envy about you as a realtor. I don't necessarily have to sit down and discuss personal financial details with my clients and I'm happy about that. Yeah. And I, I would imagine, especially when you're just meeting someone for the first time, a lot of times, you know, you've met, you've never met this person before and you're on the phone with them and you have to ask them some pretty personal questions. And I would imagine sometimes people aren't quite up front with you <laughs> either. And that, that can be detrimental to their situation. It can be. And, and another thing that I thought about as you were talking and you were, you were talking about things are ever evolving in the mortgage industry our lenders keep us pretty up to date on, on changes, but we get, you know, at least weekly, sometimes daily updates on changes to, you know, the way FHA is doing something or rural housing wants something done a little bit differently. Um, you know, there, there really has to be a willingness to learn because there's a lot of information out there for mortgages and the different loan types and loan programs and options. And sure. it's a lot. Yeah. Just like real estate. If you're not you're not learning something new every day. You're probably not doing your job. Yeah. So um, kind of jumping off track here, so we're going to wrap this up. There's something I wanted to ask you about. What is it like being an internet meme <laughs> with Bill Murray? And it, I, this is a podcast, so the, the listeners can't see this, but I just pulled up this great, awesome picture <laughs> that... Uh, of Brad sitting behind Bill Murray at a Louisville basketball game in Miami, and Brad's looking at his watch, and Bill's sitting here with a big smug smile on his face. <laughs> and I, I happen to be watching this game, and I, I, I saw, I said, is that Brad? So I texted Brad, you know, he, I'm, I'm giving him a hard time. I'm like, oh, I see you looking at your watch, you know, big timer here. But I was I, probably looking at the text message that you sent me. <laughs> I keep seeing this picture popping up on Twitter and Instagram during Louisville games. <laughs> so do people do people send this to you all the time? Do you hear about it? I, I actually got it quite a bit for the, especially the coming weeks or the, the following weeks after that had happened. 
um, being in that the stadium, you know, you don't get a very good cell service. But when I walked out of there, I had a lot of notifications, <laughs> a lot of screenshots of the picture that you've got up here. And it, it, it's kind of funny. And that's my wife, Ryan, sitting behind her. Her, her head just happens to be covered directly <laughs> by his. Um, but yeah, it's um, it was fun. That was a fun week. Um, big, big time Louisville fan and have been for a very long time. And when I found out that they were playing football and basketball in the same week mm -hmm. at Miami, uh, my best friend actually lives down in the Fort Lauderdale, Boca, Boca Raton area. So it was pretty easy to fly down there, spend a week with them, right. and go to a couple games. Uh, just so happens that the tickets I got, I had no idea. We get there, walk down there, and we were sitting there talking, you know, watching them warm up. And he leaned over to say something to the guy sitting next to him. And I kind of glanced around. I was like, Ryan, I think that's Bill Murray. <laughs> it's kind of funny. <laughs> that's cool. That's cool. So if people want to get in touch with you, learn about how you can help them get pre-qualified for a mortgage, or maybe they're interested in, in, in getting into the mortgage business, uh, they can reach you at brad at kyinmortgage.com, correct? Yep. Or they can check out your website at kyinmortgage.com, that's short for Kentucky and a mortgage. They can reach you on your cell phone, 812-989-7555, or they can call the office at 812-725-0017. Anything coming up that you want to want to tell people about or any special new loan programs or anything like that that you'd like to mention before we, before we take off? Uh, nothing specifically, but... You know, as we go into March, April, May, like, you know, what most consider the home buying season, I think, you know, get in touch with me or somebody on our team. And if you if you go to our website, kyinmortgage.com, or if you Google Kentucky and a mortgage group, um, we'll come up and go to our mortgage broker page. And all of us are listed on there with all our contact information. Reach out to one of us and we'll be happy to help. Great. Brad, I appreciate you spending time with us today. Thank Very you again for having me. Absolutely. All right. Have a good day. Thank you. All right. Thanks again to Brad C. with Kentucky Anna Mortgage Group for sitting down with us today. I really enjoyed that conversation. And an interesting coincidence, I think, is the fact that neither Brad nor myself realized it at the time. But February 4th, when we recorded that interview, happened to be Cancer Awareness Day. Brad wanted me to let you know that if you are a person who feels compelled to donate money to cancer research, he would love for you to make a donation to the V Foundation. If you would like to contact me for real estate needs, or if you have comments, questions, or suggestions for future episodes or guests, you can reach me at glennhockersmith at schulerbauer.com. I'm on Facebook, Glenn Hockersmith Realtor. Glenn Hockersmith underscore Schulerbauer on Instagram. And as always, check out my listings, glennsoin.com or glennsellslouisville.com. I would love for you to hit the subscribe button wherever you listen to or download your favorite podcast. Give us a review and share it with your friends. I would certainly appreciate that. The next episode, episode six, we will speak with Nate Petrus. He happens to be a colleague of mine who just wrote a book. It's called The Real Estate Professional, Everything You Need to Know Before Quitting Your Day Job. So I look forward to that. I hope you do too. I invite you to join us next time, and I hope you have a great day. Bye.